Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hey there, thanks for choosing the Driven Chat Podcast. I'm Andy Jay and I'm very pleased to say, as ever, I'm sat with my compadres, Amy Shaw. Hello, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you very much. And Monsieur Marcar. Good afternoon, or morning, or evening. <laughs> Whatever time you listener are listening, good day to you. It's well saved. Um, <laughs> once again, we are in the haunted room at Caffeine and Machine, bringing you a little bit of ghostly lockdown loving because, well, we are with El Jefe right now. I'm extremely excited. There's a man sitting on the sofa looking like the Don because he is. It's Phil McGovern. How are you doing, Phil? Hey. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for being here. It's Thanks not haunted, just for a fact, right? That was a story that we seeded right at the beginning. <laughs> and it's wonderful. This was supposed to be the room of racist past. You know, there was okay. supposed to be a wall all the way along that that that, that wall that you come in on was supposed yeah. to be just a load of faces of ah. interesting motorsport stars from bygone eras. So you're telling us that there isn't, there isn't actually a ghost? Ah, <laughs> oh. yes, there is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's you work on never. it. <laughs> if there's not a ghost, like so Sterling in, is hovering somewhere. <laughs> in a hundred years' time, it'll be the ghost of Markov. <laughs> <laughs> Well, why why did the wall never it. become a thing? That that sounds awesome. I just think it was a bandwidth thing, Amy, to be fair. There was so much stuff that we wanted to do. We had this mega list when we when we first started rolling with this and we'd look around the property and think this would be great, this would be good, this would mm-hmm. be excellent. Reality sets in. Well, I mean, I can imagine quickly. this place continuing for many, many years. So these these are ideas that can be kept for future yeah, years yeah, yeah, yeah. of Caffeine and Machine. They're completely and utterly time free. There's no constraints mm-hmm. to whatever it is that we want to add into this kind of like it's texture on texture on texture, isn't it? So the more that you add in, the better. And it's probably why we started with the white building. It's, I mean, yeah. it's, it's absolutely bang on. I mean, Phil, we, you know, we were privileged enough a, f- a few podcast episodes ago to yeah. sort of sit down with Dan Macken and get yeah. a bit of a backstory yeah. about the creation, etc. But, you know, I don't think it's unfair to say this is your baby. This is your brainchild. Yeah, I mean, it's always, it's a difficult one, isn't it? And I think I've gotten used to this now that, yes, it all started way before I met Dan, but the reality of what it became was with Dan, full stop. Mm. You know, it's it's very easy. What was it, this like, terrible old saying that ideas are cheap, and they kind of are. Um, it's the delivery that takes like, all the money. Of effort. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a painful experience, but without without Dan, materially, this thing wouldn't exist to the level that it does. Fact. I mean, one of the amazing things, though, Phil, is, is that, you know, Caffeine and Machine is now, this building has been open to the public for, for a little over two years now. You've just celebrated your, your second 
Annoyingly, this fellow was the first person to activ- activate anything at Caffeine and Machine. <laughs> I'm referring to John, obviously. Well, <laughs> and, and how much has that hindered your practice? <laughs> no, but the, I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, we, we like to deal in facts as well as, as well a kind of fancy. And, and the reality is that Caffeine and Machine, this building, the people that have come here, the awareness of the brand, etc., it exploded instantly. I mean, it was it was a hit from the start. Yeah, it was bizarre. It was very, very bizarre. <laughs> we put a lot of effort... Ah. It, the, the hardest part was com- was converting the digital footprint from a Middle Eastern footprint to a relevant UK footprint, because mm. I, I think I kicked up, I kicked the start of the social media channels back into 2015, and they were very much focused in the Middle Eastern market, right? Mm. Lots of, of photos my, of yeah, ninety percent of my, my customer deserts. base and consumer base, and those that were actually connected to the page were were Middle Eastern, completely mm. irrelevant to this. So you thought, I know what I, I need, Stratford upon Avon. So um. Yeah, and I don't know whether that was probably false position desires, but there was a self-belief in the concept that it was far bigger than Dubai could ever cater for. And I I felt scared that I'd looked at so many of these entrepreneurial startup businesses that had happened in Dubai, and none of them had left. Mm. None of them had got out. Um, Dubai as a country was, was built on the back of brands being brought in. Everything was brought in from Shake Shack to the hotels to yeah. any food concept that popped up in the Middle East already existed in another market. And I, I felt that if we were going to give Caffeine and Machine the legs that it actually needed, there was no way that it was going to work in that country for a number of factors, political, economic, mm. um, being an Englishman in the Middle East. Mm. Um, it, it, I, I felt like this was more capable. So let's go... When we spoke with Dan, Dan gave us a good backstory about the, the foundations of Caffeine and Machine. And yes, it started off as a brand that was based in the Middle East and then yeah. ended up here. Yeah. But I think what a lot of people don't know is if we go, if we wind the clock back even further. You it really started. Pre-Caffeine and Machine, you've got quite an interesting history in the world of automotive. Yeah, I hustled a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, it's common to hear that from people that have done fairly well or had successful positions in the automotive industry. But give us an oversight. For those, because there will be a lot of people listening that don't know, for example, your involvement in Jaguar Cars was yeah. fairly substantial. Yeah, I mean, I, um, crikey, I, I was very lucky that I, I was brought up offshore. My, um, my father was, uh, was, he went hunting Middle East danger money, let's put it that way, um, in the late 70s and found himself in Saudi. So I was born and raised in Saudi. Um, I spent a lot of time in Qatar subsequent to that and then Malaysia and then came back to, to, to the UK. So are you multilingual? I have this canny knack of being able to listen and understand Arabic to the point where my Arabic friends stopped talking Arabic in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't were they, were they being that mean? <laughs> I couldn't retort or converse, but you, you, you know this as well as I do, Tommy. Yeah. You get to a certain point where there's certain phrases, yeah. certain words, and then you can just match it together and you can respond and you go, no, 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 that's not exactly how it worked out, is mm. it? Pfizer won't. It's like, well, mate, if you count back over the last four years of knowing you, I've asked you pertinent questions (laughs) to understand what you're saying. Hello, Faisal, by the way. Yeah, hello, Faisal. (laughs) So um, we, as a a family unit, my parents bought a house in Kenilworth um, in a place called Bullymore Grove, which is, um, just as you hit Kenilworth, there's like 67 houses tucked away in there. Um, And there was a high propensity of JLR, uh, back then Jaguar um, employees and Land Rover. Um, And there was three... There was three in there, maybe three and a half, four, because the fourth one was just a friend who didn't really help um, influence where I went. But there was four very strong characters. Um, there was a guy called Barry Thrussell. There was a guy called Roger. What a name. Cr- that was a good name. Barry yeah. Thrussell. So Barry, Barry Thrussell was awesome. Um, you would cast Barry Thrussell. Barry was <laughs> basically uh, anything. Yeah. yeah. Barry Who do we was, need for um, this Barry Thrussell? What was he? What was he back then? He was, I think he was head of marketing and sales and service or something. He deserves, he does all the titles. <laughs> he was a cool guy, right? He was the guy that had. Uh, you know, he had the he had the crazy kind of like turbocharged Daihatsu charades and the interesting VTEC Civics and he had the first E46 M3 I ever experienced. Wow. He had the first 911 <laughs> I ever experienced. And he all had the, the first SCDs. 400 that I ever experienced. Yeah, nice. He had all of these mega toys. Thoroughbred petrol head. Was he a massive player? Because you was know, with just that name, awesome. He was just an awesome guy, <laughs> and he had two two kids. And obviously, I got to know Barry because his uh, his daughter became my babysitter. Simple, really. And that that was the connection into Barry. Um, and then there was a gentleman called Roger Craythorn. Um, and Roger, I, I will position him as Mr. Land Rover. I think a lot of people will position him as Mr. Land Rover, but he was Mr. Land Rover. Um, at the time I uh, got to know him, he was he was launching um, 
what now is known as Land Rover Experience. Yeah, okay. Um, but he was the guy that that did all the testing and shakedown of Project Valar mm. all that time ago, right? He was he was the chap. That was, that um, was very capable. Ago. Yeah, he was behind all the camel stuff, uh, the experience stuff. He's the guy that drove that Defender County up the side of the dam. Yeah, the dam. Yeah. Um, he very famously <laughs> wouldn't get in an aeroplane. Huh. Yeah, he travelled the world with Camel Trophy, but he did it all by road. Wow. Hence, I've got this deep-seated love affair of road trips, right? Because this guy <laughs> used to regale these incredible stories to yeah. me whilst showing me Huey that he was restoring in the garage. <laughs> and to be, to be fair, if you're going to avoid planes and you're the dude that runs the Camel Trophy, then mm. you travel. You know, you, yeah. The other guy which charted a more significant course in my life was a guy called David Shupak. Um, and David at the time had been brought in to head up S-Type program. Um David, I'll, I'll surmise David as quickly as I can. He came from Ilmore, uh, IndyCar cart guy, uh, headed up Jaguar S-type program. He then navigated his way all the way to the chief executive of engines and transmissions for Ford worldwide, and then left to become the chairman of Whirlpool. Where it became very interesting was he was head of exhaust and cooling for XJ220. Ah. So he was one of the 12 Saturday Club members. Mm. Um, so my interconnection into XJ220 started with David. Um, his son, Jonathan, became a very close friend and still is to this day, and he was the chief designer of Rivian. So they, they're nice. as a family. <laughs> nice. They've navigated really beautifully. Um, Jonathan's an amazingly talented fellow that I, again, it was the babysitting lark, right? I was babysitting Jonathan. Brilliant. <laughs> and then the final guy was a guy called Peter Horbury, and um, Peter lived right up at the top, and he at the time was chief designer of Volvo. Um, Peter is still chief designer of Volvo, yeah. uh, but he now heads up the whole the whole patch, right? That that Geely, Geely, Geely yeah, yeah, got themselves there. involved with. Yeah. Um, so I was mates with uh, Ed and Nathan, his two kids, um, and that that was this patchwork quilt of automotive inspiration. And then when I was sixteen, I wanted to find myself some work experience. Um, David Shupak very kindly gave me work experience at Browns Lane for for Jaguar wow. Cars. So um, I went in at. When everyone else was getting pissed and making out in fields, <laughs> I was uh, I was I was cycling to to either Whitley or to, to Browns Lane from Kenilworth as a fifteen year old and a sixteen year old to go and do my six weeks here, four weeks there, nine weeks here. So, and and were you experience. aware at the time of because you know the four people you've just mentioned they they are all outliers, they're all power players within within the it brand. Connected when I went to. Uh, I forget the year, but they launched what is now 405 Range Rover at L'Opera in Paris. It must have been eight years ago now. Yeah. It was the same time they launched McLaren P1. And Roger was there. And it was it was then that I realized that when they roll out the big guns, mm. Mm. Like, it's Roger. Oh, it's yeah. you guys. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, well, I'm the brand. Oh, oh. And then, yeah, you do. You track these people. And, you know, I only realized that David Shupak was part of the Saturday Club when I'd bought an XJ220 with my father and I started looking You've through this book. got an XJ220. And I was like, oh, <sighs> David was part and parcel of this program. Mm. And there he is with this amazing moustache and I sent him a message and he went, yeah, 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 I was part of XJ220. Did you never question why there were prototypes lying outside my house? <laughs> That's so, so good. <laughs> I was at Don Laws just two weeks ago. Mm. Brilliant. Don is, Don, oh. Don became, yeah, I, I had to be that guy that phoned up Don. We'll get, we'll get to the Don connection in a minute because it's actually quite funny. Um, it was the the XJ220 was the trigger reason I left corporate. Okay. So um, yeah, we'll get to that in a tickle. Which meant that I had to phone Don, and then I had to listen to Don regale this story of this idiot that wrote this article and then posted it online about an abandoned XJ220 in the Middle East. And I'm sat going, "That was me. Yeah. <laughs> that was me." It's like, so now that you've said that, Don, um, we're looking to buy a car. And I didn't reveal that it was me until I I, I met Done the Don deal. face to face. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, I was that guy. That charted everything. That, that completely changed my life, that car. There really? was a fabulous story your dad has told me about your time working at Jaguar, mm. which kind of propelled you fairly well in, into your success and your journey, which was a fairly interesting individual that came into a showroom to buy a couple of cars. Do you want to pick up from there? And oh God! I I, it's I a good story. I've only heard your dad's version. So I had many. I had many. Yeah. yeah somebody involved. Somebody involved in a in a rock band yeah, so, environment. Yeah. So I um. Yeah, we can accelerate the other bit because it's really boring. So I, I, <laughs> I did I did my work experiences and then I finished my A levels. I went to uni. Uh, third year of uni, I wanted to do an industrial placement course because that was part of the structure of it. Um, I managed to find myself in UK ops which is this kind of dealer-facing marketing team of the Jaguar um, 
UK national sales company. And um, I spent a lot of time traveling around the country because I landed as the UK sales director had lost his driving license for drink driving. (laughs) You're a young fella. You've got nothing to do. There's the keys to this guy's car driving around the country. Um, Keep your gob shut. Keep your ears wide open. And I've got big old flappers. So I spent a year sitting with this guy, John Johnson, traveling around the UK, understanding retail business and variable marketing and this and that. And it was it was wonderful to, to experience all of that. And then um, I just bit off traveling, came back, worked in consumer affairs because uh, I wanted nothing more than to pick up the phone to an angry person. Um, <laughs> so I, I did. I did that. Oh, so much hard work. <laughs> but I very quickly found myself in a. We were there was a room of four of us. I say a room. We were in the corner of this huge floor, but the four of us were the escalation program. So we were effectively the voice of the, the then chairman of the company. So if it went through all the pain, it came to us. And we had the discretion to pull you out of a car and replace it. And that was our kind of ultimate discretion level was we could say, you know what, completely agree with you. We'll take that car back. There's another one. Um, I met some very interesting people through that, which then led me to this desire of I want to go and sell cars. And I couldn't understand why no one within Jaguar at the time had ever done retail. Um, no one within Jaguar had ever bought their own car. <laughs> they all get company cars, right? Yeah. They'd never walked into a showroom because they get their company cars from company vehicles around the corner so they'd never gone through this process and i I couldn't grasp why that wasn't the case so i put my hand up and said i want to go and do retail sales they couldn't facilitate it so i phoned a couple of the local dealers and uh, a gentleman called simon brown who i've subsequently seen in the car park he came over and said hello um he was just like phil the showroom's yours come and do it but i'm gonna pay ten thousand pounds a year basic and the rest you have to figure out um so i dumped out of jaguar land rover jaguar I went to work for Rybrook in Solihull. <laughs> um, first car, car I sold was to a long-haired, black, long black-haired fella that rolled in in a, I think he rolled in in an S, he was an SL55 AMG, you know, remember the big bangers? Yeah. And said, I'm interested in an XKR Silverstone. Uh, the guy turned out to be Tony Iommi. Um, <laughs> Tony led me to uh, Bev Bevan. That led me to uh, Geezer Butler. Um and it led me to some really, really interesting... Because it, it ends up being member get member, right? When you're yeah. a really good yep. salesman, they kind of say, do you want to meet this guy? This guy would like to buy a car. So that charted a very interesting course for me. Then Pendragon, this monstrous retail outfit, bought all these little independent businesses. And I ran for the hills. I was like, I'm not being part of a, a big corporate machine. Um, and Listers phoned me up um, and offered me... They were launching R8 at the time. So I became their R8 advocate. And I went and did eight months at Listers. But I, my brain was scratching. I was on. I just couldn't help but con, c- continue to think I want to deliver something interesting. And at the time, it was this thing called Strawberry Jam, codename Smart Seventeen, which was how to get seventeen-year-old uh, mass affluent seventeen-year-olds into a lease vehicle that was black boxed, insured, tracked, um, and modern, new, and safe. Right? Um, I couldn't get it off the ground. My auntie thought it was a terrible idea. <laughs> um, who was my, my auntie's an incredible entrepreneur she's done very well for herself over the years and um she was like it's an awful idea Fred. and i went yes it is isn't it and closed the book on it and went back to work for jaguar land rover now because land rover was part of it um and wanted to go and do the middle east so i got on an airplane to go to the middle east after having a, a wonderful interview with a guy called andrew gawthorpe who still to this day is the best boss i've ever had bar none um, i believe he's in triumph now very senior guy um, and that was, I was area after sales manager uh, in Dubai. And I looked after Algeria to Pakistan, sub-Sahara Africa. That was my patch. Um, so Quite a strong patch. Yeah. <laughs> mega patch, yeah. yeah. And a few quid there. Yeah, it was yeah. mega. And, you know, my job was to fly around and make sure that these guys were adhering to process. It was terribly dull. <laughs> but I got to travel to amazing countries and meet amazing people. And I kept meeting myself. And I'd meet Amy and I'd meet John and I'd meet you. And it'd be like, this is repeating. Mm-hmm. So this was the beginnings of, how I saw it coming. Um, and then I found my love affair of the camera. So whilst <laughs> I was traveling, my mum was a very successful artist. My dad, not so much. He was a civil engineer, but he was very good at drawing. Um, my, my art became the camera. So I just started shooting everything I saw. Um, you know, I was shooting stuff in Syria and Algeria wow. and um, meeting interesting people, but I was documenting it for myself. Yeah. And I had nowhere to put it. I started a website, and this was 10 years ago. Um, 
and at the time, a very good friend of mine uh, called Luke Ray, who was best man at my wedding, uh, Luke was working for Ford, and I was effectively working for Ford, but JLR. And he and I met up over Christmas, and he said, I want to I do journalism. I want to be a publisher. I was like, mate, I want to be a publisher too, but it's digital <laughs> all the way. And he went, no, print. So he came up with Fuel, which then subsequently expanded into Fuel and Tank Moto. So he's got a car, hot rod car brand and motorbike brand. And I started crankandpiston.com. Um, and it was nothing more than just my way of getting my images out and not boring my mum and my <laughs> then, then um, And Crank and Piston was, was li- literally, it was car culture in the UAE and it just started to grow. And it burbled and I document the motorsport side of things. That was my lead in because um, it was road race and culture. Um, and we did it in two languages, English and Arabic. And then we tried to launch this really bizarre hybrid Lebanese language, which is letters and you know, like Bissara written with a seven and a three and a five. <laughs> and, um, we tried that for a bit. But the brand kind of resonated. It was right at the cusp of social. It was right at the cusp of digital content. Um, I was in Qatar one afternoon and I went walking down the back street and there was an abandoned XJ220. <laughs> um, it was ruined. It was bad. And uh, I spoke to the guy, Mick Bramley, who was the service guy, and he's like, I saw this car when it was in Beirut nine months ago and here's the photos it's absolutely perfect so i was like i want to know the story i need to find out the story so um i did a bit of digging found out posted it knowing full well that the ramifications might be quite bad and went live with it <laughs> um speed hunters took it autoblog took it jalopnik took it top gear took it autocar took it well, what w- happened? Did, like, give us the, the too long. Didn't it was read, syndicated, so it was chassis one eight four, I believe, uh, Lebanese car, dark blue, beautiful. Found its way back into Qatar because I think it was owned by the Emir of Qatar at the time. Um, it then reappeared as. Uh, do you remember the London Motor Museum mm-hmm. car? It was mean. Yeah. It had a roof scoop on it. It was satin yeah. blue. It was really badly trimmed. It had one? a horrible <laughs> wing on the back. It became that car. Right. Um, I wrote a piece that was a bit scathing. Um, about second generation money not really being totally grasping the value chain. It was very much buy, sell, dispose. Mm-hmm. They've changed. You know, the generation that we're now very close to are very different. But back then they weren't. And um, yeah, every publication in the world wanted to syndicate this story. Um, my website had 1.8 million hits overnight. <laughs> wow. um, I was offered my resignation as I walked in the next day. Oh. Um, because the... The, the, the gentleman that had owned the car had made contact with the then CEO of JLR, who I think was Michael Driscoll. Uh, Michael Driscoll made a phone call to my boss, went, who's this fella? Mm. Oh, he's like, my, he's my area sales guy. It's like, mm, mm. he's gone and done this. Like Robin knew full well that I was doing this website. Um, and he just, he very softly and kindly said, make a choice, Phil. Shut the website and continue doing this wonderful job or leave. How, was, how quickly did you make the decision? Eight days. Eight days. Really? It wasn't just an instant? <coughs> no, because I had no way of backing it up. Um, so I, I, went to, I went to my dad and went, you've seen this wonderful website that I created. This could be the future. It'll make us millions. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, my dad very, very kindly stumped up um, some Benjamin Franklins and uh, a young fella called Bassam Cronfley, um, a Lebanese-Canadian guy, who at the time was publishing Evo magazine and a product called Automart, which was basically a fast-moving quarter um, bi-weekly uh, retail proposition, car sales, auto trader, print, basically. Um, and when I'll invest and you can run Evo, Automart, and you can bolt this crank and piston proposition into the side no. so we can have two print and a digital. <laughs> um, and I went to him, that's super. How about we break it all down and we deliver a company that white labels content? And he went, I don't know how that works, but... Think about it. Um, three weeks later, Robin Colgan phoned me up and went, um, we are launching an open contract for Jaguar Land Rover MENA, so Middle East, North Africa, Pakistan's um, social media and content program. Um, would you like to be the third wheel? Because you have to have three pitches, right? Yeah. So I went up against two big WPP agencies as myself um, I pretended I had three employees. I didn't. <laughs> um, and I won the contract. And I held it all the way until Spark 44 took it. Wow. So the the white labeling side of the business took off very, very quickly. 
Um, and then Maserati asked us to do their championship, and then Porsche and then McLaren, and it just started to burble and roll. And then a young Saudi fella, um, I met him in the car park of the Dubai Autodrome. One, it was one, it was a January, wasn't it? Dubai, twenty-four hours. Big six-foot-five, bald-headed monster came wandering over to me, um, and I became very good friends with this this chap. <laughs> and he commissioned me to do some work for his race team called Saudi Falcons, uh, and we did a load of content the Saudi Falcons. Um, and then Pfizer asked me one day, do you want to go into business? So I left my first company. I literally walked away from it all. Walked away from Crank and Piston, walked mm -hmm. away from all the contracts and the staff um, and went into business with Faisal bin Laden um, and created a company called White Space Factory. Um, Goodness because me. when everyone goes left, I go right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, apologies if this is a very ignorant question. You said Faisal bin Laden, mm -hmm. as in... As in so the Bin Laden family is a very, very, very interesting family. family. Yeah. yeah, if you imagine there's some... Um, so Mohammed Bin Laden, father, and his brother at the time left Yemen all those years ago and made their way up to Saudi Arabia by foot. Sadly, um, brother two didn't make it. Um, proves how arduous that journey was all those years mm -hmm. ago. Yeah. Um, he then went on to have uh, 11 wives and 52 children. Yeah. And um, SBG, Saudi Bin Laden Group, as we know it, became a thing, right? Um, one of the biggest companies in the world, bar mm. none. And they had fingers left, right, and center. Um, Faisal was the eldest son of the second in command, a guy called Sheikh Saad. Um, and yeah, Faisal was, we, we got on like a house on fire, right? We absolutely hit it off. We had the same sentiment in life. We had the same belief mechanisms. We had the same passion sets. And we got on with it. And Faisal's job back then was to kick a door open, and my job was to run in before it shut. <laughs> so he'd go, uh, Phil, this is Mike. Mike runs McLaren. I'm going to get a drink. And he'd leave. <laughs> and I'd be like, hello, Mike. I'm Phil. What's your, what's your surname? And this is Ron. Hi. Um, and Two lovely men. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it led, <coughs> it led me down some very strange routes. Um, not least things like McLaren, Aston, uh, the Singer relationship that I brought to the table that then we collaborated on and brought Singer to the Middle East. Um, and I was just consistently hovering around in the background. And so your role in this, <coughs> in this situation was literally to bring the product, the cars, etc. My job was to network and conceptualise feasible propositions. So McLaren, for example, you know, they obviously now have the Bahrain International Circuit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Was that? I mean, is that? Partly what down were we to doing back for McLaren back then? We um, so we oh crikey, we set lap records all around the Middle East in McLaren P ones. Um, we worked behind the scenes on the retail proposition for McLaren in Saudi because the Bin Ladens wanted it. Um, we did, what did we do? We did 7,000 miles across Saudi and collected every single McLaren 12C owner on the way. That was good. Wow. So we started Salam. in, yeah, yeah. We, we started in Riyadh um, and then made our way, uh, I'm going to have to get this right, this sounds terrible, I, I have to go northeast. So we went across <laughs> the eastern province all the way up to Bereda, which is a very, very conservative part of Saudi. Um, I, uh, I got told to, to cover my ankles that day. And then um, we drove right across the, the center, kind of hovering underneath Iraq and all the way to Syria, um, to Yimba, and then south to Jeddah, Jeddah to the Talmorib Road, which was the first road that the Saudi Bin Laden Group built, which is effectively to you and I the Christian Highway. So if you want to go to Mecca as a, as a Christian, you can't. Mm. So you have to take this road. Um, and it's called the Al Hadda Road. And it's the most magnificent road you've ever been. It is. Um, and it was built by the Bin Ladens. That was their first road. They, 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 they customized machines to build that road. Um, and it took, I don't know, nine years plus. So when all this was happening, because, I mean, you were right in the heart of so many different things. Mm. Were you aware of how... God, no. Utterly... <laughs> no. Overwhelming if you were. No, no, yeah. It was, um, it was all very surreal. Like, incredibly surreal. Yeah. Um, and, and Faisal was, was wonderful at delivering this, that side of life, right? They all are. Um, they're like, oh, Phil, you need to meet Jay. Well, hello, Jay Leno. Yeah. This is really weird. <laughs> hey, Phil, do you want to come and see my car collection? Like, yes, of course. Like, why am I here? <laughs> um, I had a Jay Leno story like that with Ian Callum. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> why, Ian's another one. Like, why am I here? This is really weird. But I just did my best and tried to not look shaky. Um and put my mask on, right? The lads outstairs, downstairs now, the team that are at CNM still question how I can just put this face on, and it's just, 
Yeah. I'm 41 now. I've put my mask on far so many times. Mm. But you just had to get on with it. Um, and, and that was that was where it, it just it started to grow and it started to I started to kind of question all of these things that I'd seen in the scene and the industry and you know Faisal and I were traveling around we were making good content we did a lot of stuff for Drive like a lot of stuff with Drive um, you know I, I had the opportunity to sit down with uh, JF Mutual and and Christian Schnedler the two guys that owned or did own Drive back then um, with Mike Spinelli and Chris Harris and all that crew and they went you know social media do it. <laughs> I was like, really? You're going to give me the keys to drive? Like, give me the keys to drive. Like, now give me the keys and I'll show you what I can do. And I absolutely set fire to it and it was amazing. Um, and we just broke down content and started throwing out snippets and we put a cadence in and we put a story in and I was sat in the back end and I could be the voice of five different people. So it was mildly psychotic. You know, I could sit there and be Matt Farrer and be really angry, or I could be really passive and be Mike Spinelli, or I could be a real knob and be... <laughs> you, could, you could have a bit of fun. And we weren't taking any shit off anyone online as a brand. We were just standing firm to our values. And Drive then led me to Momo, and I met uh, a wonderful guy called Enrique Cisneros that owns Momo. And uh, he had I think he had half a million fans on that page at the mm. time. And he went, it's useless. I've got like half a percent engagement. Mm. Like, mate, give me the channel for like two months and then you'll pay me a retainer. And he went, sure. Um, two months later, he phoned me up and went, we're going to give you a retainer. <laughs> um, and then he said, what would you do with Momo? Why, why is this guy asking me these questions? So we came up with this thing called Momo Heritage. <laughs> and we started relaunching prototypos and ones of steering wheels and indie steering wheels and did a tie-up with Magnus Walker. And oh, I love him. Just became I a call lot him Uncle Magnus. He's yeah. such a lovely bloke, isn't he? It became a lot yeah. of fun. Um and it was, it was really, really interesting. And throughout all of this, I had this bloody cafe idea consistently blatting in the back of my head. It was going to be Crank and Piston Cafe, and it was going to have Hot Wheels on the ceiling. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I lost Crank and Piston, and then I got given this this opportunity. So my, my time at White Space Factory was beginning to, to slow. I didn't really need to be there as often as I, 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 I was at the time. And um, I was scratching around, and I met a guy called Mortaza, Dubai, who was a standard chartered banker, and he had this lovely uh, cafe uh, roastery place connected to motorbikes called Cafe Rider. And I walked in and went, oh, This guy's built exactly what I want, mm. but where are the cars? <laughs> a bit weird. Like, Mortaza, can I do a car event here? He was like, Absolutely, knock yourself out. Cafe in the machine. Uh, it was the Thursday before Yas Formula One in November 2015, um, and he said, It's all yours, right? I was like, super. So we're going to do an event, and it's going to be 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, cars, bikes, and art. That's it. One night only. And I phoned Talal. Mm -hmm. I phoned Maximilian Cooper. <laughs> I phoned Tim Burton. And I phoned Alex Penfold. Mm -hmm. They were the only four people I called. Uh, 400 people turned up. Um, caffeine and Machine began. <laughs> um, and then the challenge was to do it again. And then the challenge was to make people realize that Caffeine and Machine was just an event at Cafe Rider. So we started to move it around the, the town. and It started to grow. And then the social media pages started to come. And it just took over. And then dreams and aspirations started to like really push it towards, we should do a business plan. We should go and find some investment. And then I found myself as the chief marketing officer of a bank. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting that sentence. You know, yes, of yeah. course. You know when that yeah. happens sometimes. You just, I, just <laughs> I didn't I didn't understand it. So I got approached as the owner of the agency first. Um and they said, Look, we'd very much like to entertain the idea of your agency doing all of our marketing and our social and our content and strat and all that sort of stuff. Um and then they just said, Look, how about we throw this a complete curveball your way? How about you come and actually take the seat? Um I had a long chat with Faisal at the time. And um, that was it's sadly that was the beginning of the downfall of my relationship with Faisal, really, because I think he felt like I'd left him. Right. Um, when in actual fact, the the needs of life were far more significant than I think he understood. Um, and I needed to I needed to sort stuff out. You know, I had a mortgage, I had two mortgages, you know, two kids and a wife that wasn't working, and I needed to go and do something. So I found myself in this this bank startup, which was hugely exciting. You know, it was a digital neo bank in a in a very overly saturated banking market that could be wild. You know, I, I know Dan touched on it. 
and it was mega and it gave me complete freedom of how to market a proposition and i just drilled it back to the really simple stuff of wants and needs and features and benefits it's like what's the average want and need of a human it's like it's to live and survive mm. um, and what does a bank provide you that so we we started this whole proposition of think clearly and the bank enables you to just get on with your stuff um dan and i met there and um he was a business analyst out of barclays and I was the guy in the corner of the room looking a bit weird with my motorbike helmet on. and <laughs> uh, Yeah, like I was not your general CMO. I was dressed pretty much like this, but I turn up on my bonnie and I had my helmet on. Cool. And I hid in the corner of the room. <laughs> I've always been the guy that hides in the corner of the room. Not for, for being odd. It's just I need my space. Right. And I'm odd. But I just I like <laughs> my space. I can't think. I, the minute another voice appears in a conversation, I go deaf. Mm. It's so strange. It's like I can't, I can't compute. I need to go out. Um, and I think Dan kept wandering over and just going, what are you doing? <laughs> going on in there, Phil? And we started talking about customer retention and customer reach out and networking. And he was like, have you ever tested it before? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I have. I've got this thing called Caffeine and Machine. He's like, ooh, talk to me about it. And boom. And the rest is the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so at that stage, we were right at the end of, I was right at the end of testing. Um, and I had one more to go. And it was the Dubai Ports Monster. Um, which was laid out to be a free event. So all our traders that were coming, everyone that was down wasn't being charged. They just had to reveal their numbers. I needed to see their revenue numbers because I knew that we could do costings better or different. So just give me your revenues. Um, and Dan was like, I'm going to come down. He had a broken collarbone at the time because he dumped a KTM 450 in the desert. <laughs> so he had his arm in a sling. It was 45 degrees Celsius. It was way too hot and sticky. We were running around trying to wrangle four and a half thousand people and it was a mega mega day and at the end of it we kind of sat down and i said to him dude look at this this is a really interesting set of numbers and he just opened his laptop and got excel out but <laughs> <laughs> like, you got a business plan i'm like yep and then we just spent weeks and weeks and weeks just tearing it to shreds and looking at investment routes and figuring it out um yeah, and then the world tipped upside down because I had to leave the country. Because? So, oh, visas, <laughs> life, business partners. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange country, the Middle East. You give everything to it, and the minute you don't comply with the minorist rules, you've got to leave. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I had to sell my house. My dad had to sell his house. Uh, I had to back out of business, had to close bank accounts, had to do absolutely everything, and we were out of the country in 45 days. Crazy. Oh, wow. It was quite intense. And I had to explain to my children the country that they were born in. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. They were leaving. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we extricated and came back to the UK. With, and we still were nowhere near this. Like you have to realize that in the July preceding the December of finding this place, we still had no idea what we were doing. Yeah, I remember getting a phone call from you I can't think what time of the year it was. And the it was kind of like, I've heard of you through Al Clark and yeah. through a, a few other oh, you're people. you the guy I saw trying to do a burnout in the snow on a motorbike. Yes. On video. Yes. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, and yeah, you, you got my number from somewhere and said, you know, I've got this idea. Here's, here's what we're hoping. Uh, don't know if you might be able to be involved or help or give some ideas. And I remember, I remember I was outside of my office. I had a little office down in, um, 
uh, East Horsley, I'm sorry, and I was pacing up and down the, uh, the little shop parade in East Horsley, thinking, I can't work out if this guy's completely off his rocker. Like, I couldn't work out what you were trying to I think that was Charlie do. Turner's quote from Top Gear. Yeah, like, I was... You're either mad or this is going to be yeah, amazing. And I, but I came off the phone feeling really excited, and I went back into the office, and a couple of my guys in the office were like, well, what was that on the phone? I was like... I don't really know, but I think it's going to be brilliant. <laughs> it was all a bit mad, and the, the concept, the, the strategy was really simple. And we've—I think I've only mentioned this a few times—but we took, I took a massive IKEA clock, and I looked at the IKEA clock, and I cut the scene up into twelve segments, mm. and then I looked at the production that was connected to those twelve elements, and then I looked at the people that were making the content. There was only five, mm-hmm. six, um, so I spoke to them. <laughs> that's where it began, because then the root just went. Psh. Yeah, it's the same reason that I have Amy hanging on the walls, right? <laughs> is everybody sat within that that twelve hour clock that I looked at, um, and it might have been Wayne who built the bar. He got he got he got me into the the hot rod world. Mm-hmm. Um, doing bits and bobs with with Phil and Al got me into the the JDM world, mm-hmm. and then it just it kind of went. Um, and then yeah, then Charlie Turner, and then Wookie put extensive levels of work in, um, and everybody just kind of clubbed into this thing. And it was all a bit aloof and a bit weird and a bit unknown because it was still a shitty building site. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's when Charlie went, if this is real and you're not absolutely sending me a curveball, <laughs> this will work. Love it. Yeah, and then, and then yeah, that, was, that led us up to opening weekend. Um, and I think, I, think it was, I think it was James Walker that hit the final nail in the coffin, actually, because he came in like four days prior, I think. Yeah. And whipped together a, a YouTube video right. that went live. I think it started with me singing behind the coffee machine. It did. Because <laughs> um, he walked in and I was probably still in my pants making a coffee. And um, he launched it. And yeah, we shut it. We shut four minutes before we were due to open. Because <laughs> we were full. Brilliant. And then that was the beginning of the, the, the mess that was the last two years. I have to say, for, I mean, just listening to that unfold i've been absolutely on tender hooks listening to this and just captivated by this amazing journey and clearly you know the entrepreneurial spirit the risk taking the adventures that you've been on are unbelievable but the consistent thing is is that you have been fearless and you've had ideas ideas that other people haven't spotted you've seen niches where you're still surprised that people haven't done it well, people, but you're a visionary. I mean, you know, without kind of blowing smoke up your ass, that's clearly the situation. You've, you you don't do that level of things in those different territories. You don't get doors open like that unless you're going to do something special yeah, through those doors. Yeah, and it is, it's, ta- it's taking that opportunity when it lands in front of you and doing the best you can. Mm-hmm. But it's also having the respect to say no once in a while. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was asked to do things that sounded wonderful. And, you know, in hindsight, looking back now, probably doable. But at the time, it was far more... Um, professional just to say with all due respect no um, and there was a layer to that that I, I it was that was Faisal really um, Faisal kept, had this this thing he kept saying chill pill you need a chill pill Phil <laughs> slow down he just kept saying to me slow down you know, breathe slow walk slow I need someone to say that to me. You know, guys, tell me to slow you down. Do. A bit. You do. Was, I'd yes. say you would benefit a lot from a good a month in Saudi Arabia doing things on <laughs> Saudi timelines. <laughs> because until I worked with, I, I think my time in Saudi, I've done a few bits and pieces and worked with a lot of um, Saudis. And it, I, I remember initially thinking, oh, this is the most frustrating, impossible thing in the world. I can't get anything done. It's just, it's just a nightmare. And then something inside just clicks and goes, well, but it always works yeah. in the end. And yeah. it is. It's a, It's this crazy mentality which is so frustrating when you're from the 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 uk you know the the british way of doing things and the efficient oh i've said i'm going to be there at six i'll be there at six and you realize actually none of that really matters that much things will always work out as long as you've still got the drive and the idea and the ambition it doesn't matter if the road is a bit rocky on the way you'll get there so just don't worry about it absolutely got to run so that leads me to question phil you know you're you know, we're sitting here in, in non-haunted roommate. <laughs> the, you know, it is without any shadow of a doubt a colossal success. I'm not going to ask about the financials. That's not our business. But it, it clearly, as a as a product, as a brand, smashed it. Think of it as a swan. Okay. Looks good, but underneath it's been a constant. Paddling of course. Crazy. No, I mean, you don't get this level of attention and success, etc., without putting a crazy shift in. And I mean, John's, you know, told me of the many, 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 many thousands of hours that have gone into this from so many different people. Well, it's, an 18, it's an 18 hour day, seven days a week. Yeah, and I, I completely mm. 
I can I connect with that because this mm, mad adventure because we, we're more than a podcast we're yep. a bunch of other things yep. don't need to go into that now but I guess my question is now that you're here two years in mm. plus and given your story of just how many different things and how your brain clearly is always what's that what's that that could work why don't we do this that and the other so my question is simply are you settled now or are you thinking no worse now than I've ever been <laughs> really yeah because the opportunities that are now here that sit in front of us are far greater than they back then they were aspirational now they could quite conceivably be reality mm. quite quickly um and it's it's down to the bandwidth that we've got and the time that we've got to put into it specifically around the caffeine and machine brand yeah 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 there's there's many there's many um there's many elements that could be tacked to this um there's many elements that could i don't know without being aloof and weird you could multiply this numerous times over um, you know, the question mark is how many England could take, but there's no reason why you couldn't have five or six in the States quite easily. You could, you could have five um, or six in England. You know, yeah, so it's, it's multi-layered in that regard, in the simple repetition, copy-paste of what we've got here. Mm-hmm. But then you've got everything that feeds into it. Um, you've got the product that feeds into it. Um, you know, we, we could do so many kind of brand extensions off this that it's uncanny. Um, the goal for me now is just to be able to do what Amy does every day for free. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to work hard at this to get back to just picking You can come on the pod up. anytime, Phil. If, that's, <laughs> if that was the question. If this I was a long I want to be that guy. We'll do, a, we'll do a job swap, you know. Yes. I'll do, I'll do caffeine. I just want to be that. I want to, yeah, I want to get back. The core for me, and which is why I still do it, is is the capturing of what's going on outside, right? right. And, you know, I still take the photos. I still run the social media accounts. You know, no one else is involved in any of that um, because I, that's what I love. That's the core of this. It's going to be really difficult when there's two locations. Yeah, I was going to say. Clearly. And three. Then it starts to get hard. So, you know, Dan and I are looking at different conversations now that I probably never thought that I'd be looking at. It's like, how are we going to replace ourselves? Yeah. Um, Or how are we going to get the next host? How are we going to find the next person that's the right person to to be sat at the front of CNM Seattle, you know? And who's going to be that person? So... The challenge. Fun challenges to have. Yeah, though, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's great. And, and you know, we, we've got silly aspirational ideas from everything from insurance to car detailing products to <laughs> an entire clothing line that we're, we're just beginning to play with. Um, but, you know, CNM as a brand is massive. Caffeine and Machine as a brand is also really, really interesting. Um, oh, mate, it's wherever you want to send your head, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, Dan and I, we, we've got this thing now where we do a 720. So we come up with an idea and we circle it once and then we go, mm-hmm. Suckle it again. Mm. So we go round it again and, and again and then again. And then we come out with a, a comfort zone because we have to agree. That's our rule. No agreement, no bueno. No, you don't, you don't go. It has to be a mutual agreement. So, yeah, we debate over and over and over again. And you can imagine the amount of debates that we've had about what's happening on Thursday. <laughs> yes. yes, of course. You know, it's, it's, how, it's how we navigate that next step. So to give the, the listeners some context of that, we're recording this. Um, so... Two days ago, Boris Johnson decided we were entering a second lockdown. So this yeah. this pod will yeah. air in about two, three weeks. Yeah. So we will be in the lockdown when yeah. this mm-hmm. goes out. And we, Driven um, driven Chat and, and the affiliates, were due to have a weekend here at Caffeine and Machine. Yes, you were. I was yeah, so we were looking forward really to it. Really looking forward to it. Night here, we had food, loads of crazy fun, mad things planned, and it was going to be glorious. And of course, because of Boris, we've had to shut that down. You'd love to come and join us for 12 Days of Christmas, wouldn't you? <gasps> Absolutely. Yes. That'd be great. Absolutely. Yeah, so again, yeah, we're, we're, it's, constant, it's a constant chit-chat. So mm. we're, 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 look, we navigated the first lockdown. That was very interesting for, for Dan and I and the entire business. You know, I think we found common solace in each other. It was really painful. It was quite mm. difficult. Um, you know, at some stages, neither of us thought we were going to pop out the other side. Because it was flat out, wasn't it? From the minute... The doors open that first weekend. I think back to us standing outside in the mud and the rain for two for well for a year and a half. It was every single day you were on the rev limiter. You were, the governor was every getting day. hit every single every day, day, and then suddenly it stopped. Yeah, it was literally it, like someone came along, flicked the switch, dead. That's, that's exactly what they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but to every business, to yeah. every venue, because yeah, yeah, everybody. You know. Yeah, and and then my dad sent me this thing. So uh, in like 1991, um, we were living in Malaysia at the time, and I'd built this weird diorama of a car dealership stroke cafe out of cardboard and toilet rolls. <laughs> and I had it filled with matchbox cars and it was sat on the grass out the back of the flat. This is in 1991. I've got it somewhere. I'll dig it out. And my dad sent it to me and he went, does this, does this feel weird? 
and I'd, I'd already stepped ahead of his thought process, it felt like the diorama that I created when I was mm. nine was empty. Because yeah. I was sat up on the hill. I stayed here for that, that four-month stint. Um, and you sat up on the hill on an afternoon as the sun comes down, having a G&T, watching the world go by. Silence. Yeah. And it felt really weird. Like, way weird from this place that was having, you know, we were doing 16, 17, 18,000 people a month through <laughs> the door. Yeah. So Dave... None. Who was saying, "Are you guys open?" Mm. Like, mate, it's locked down. <laughs> <laughs> Probably should go home. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we got ourselves reopened again. This one that we're about to venture into now is probably a little bit more open to interpretation. Um, so I think we're we're just looking at the feasibility of doing takeaway, and we're looking at the feasibility of how this, that, and all the other bits will work. Um, yeah, ethically, we'll, how much do you will you stay open because you oh, also you just want to be like it on the head there? Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest problem I've got when I'm sat in this room of. of seven or eight people that we've got like in our first line team is I'm the dude in the corner going morally this is the wrong thing yeah. to do yeah like no matter how many economic holes are left in his speech he probably should be shut mm. Mm. Um, because we're different to um, pub X in the countryside if we say we're open for takeaway we're gonna have a car park full of people you are yeah. yeah and I don't want to be that guy so you know we're gonna navigate it we're gonna watch it and anything that makes either myself or Dan materially uncomfortable will be the reason that we make a change. We've had to do exactly the same thing. You know, we, we could, looking at the rules, we could take our truck on the yep. road. We could go to celebrities' doorsteps, yep. as we have been. But there are risks attached. There are. You know, and, and you just, you're right, morally, you have to think it through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, we're, you know, we're taking the cautious first approach as well. Yeah, you know. big time. Big time. And we're going to look at that and we're going to probably communicate something in the next couple of days um, that will see sense, I hope. Okay. <laughs> That's the challenge. That's Phil, the challenge. You, you've been just a brilliant guest. <laughs> I think this is the, the quietest we've all been. Like, like, just it is, yeah. To you yeah. I, I heard, I've known you a while now and there's a, there were a few things there I didn't know. So this has been quite nice to actually yeah, that's listen. That's my mum's training in life, right? Keep yeah. counsel. <laughs> yeah. on occasion well thank you for sharing with us oh an absolute yeah, pleasure you. guys really appreciate it's so it. nice that you're you're doing what you're doing there's a massive gap hole in the market and yeah run well thank hard. you so much for having us run. along yeah, and yeah just us being here I think is a real real pleasure so yeah. thank you your support and accommodating us is it does mean the world so we really appreciate awesome. it thank, thank you, you very, very much. much please keep coming we will. We will. We will. Uh, I'm going to say something now that I've never said, but I'm going to go and talk to Quentin Wilson now. Yeah, <laughs> he's a lovely guy. How amazing is that? He's a lovely guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Uh, this has been another episode of the Driven Chat podcast. We also have a celebrity variant. If you fancy something different uh, for a change, check out the Driven Celebrities podcast. Meantime, we have a massive back catalogue. If you're not a regular, then welcome. If you are a regular, thank you. We'll be back next week. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat Podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven Podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.